Dubella. Saubona. Borway. No speaker South African very good. No speaker English very good. No speaker good. I'll pick that up by this week. It's an honor for me to be here. Um, I have my message. I don't know whose this is, but it's uh, you guys give incredible gifts here. Thank you. I'll, t- I'll take it. I love you. Thank you. It comes with messages too. I bet. Yo, there's a whole lot in you. Well, it's an honor for me to be here this morning with you. Uh, I'm excited about what God is doing um, here in South Africa, here in Cape Town. What a beautiful place. And, uh, you know, on the way over here, I had a bunch of South Africans just surrounding me, talking to me for all 15 hours of my flight. And, uh, and they were just saying, are you going to go to Cape Town? Are you going to go to Cape Town? And I said, I believe I am. And so they were so happy for me. And because they were happy for me, I started to become happy for me. And, uh, and so, you know, here, here we are uh, for such a time as this. Um, oftentimes people ask me, where are you from? And I really don't know how to answer that, so I, I usually reciprocate with the question saying, do you mean where do I live or my ethnic background? And, and they say, oh, oh, yeah, where, where are you from uh, in terms of ethnic background? And I said, you can't tell? They said, no. And so let me equip you on how to tell between the Asians, okay? I'm an equipper, so I like to equip in every area of life. And, uh, but, but I just want you to know my greatest anointing is eating and sleeping. And, and so I could equip you there really well. But how do you tell the difference between the Asians? Can anyone answer that? We're just family here. Can we just do family here this morning? And, you know, Pastor Sheldon asked me, hey, would you like to sit stand on the ground or up here, and I said, I like to be up on the stage because I like to look down on people, so, uh, so that's why I'm up here, uh, not really, but here's, here's how you could tell, if they're smart or they look smart, they're Japanese, because they take everything we do and make it better, jerks. If they're rich, they're Chinese. Because if you own it, they'll buy it. It's true, isn't it? Jerks. But if they're good looking, they're Korean. So how many Koreans do we have in this place this morning? Come on, all over this room. So, oh. So I was, I said this one time at a conference, and a demon-possessed person asks, so which one are you then? So I called that person up, and we delivered that person from Legion. And after that, they came, and they're like, you must be Korean. <laughs> it's good to laugh together, isn't it? You know, you know, there's something about laughter and joy that, 
that, that invites the presence, that the presence of God is attracted to. And the beauty of joy and this hope that Sheldon talked about. Pastor Sheldon, Apostle Sheldon, I don't know what we call you here. Just Sheldon. I'm sure you've been called much worse, though, like I have, right? <laughs> and so what, what Sheldon was talking about was this, this joy and this hope. And, and how many of you know the world and our community is looking for hope? We're deplete of hope. But unfortunately, so is much of the body of Christ. But we should be replete of what the community is deplete of. And it's this joy. And there's something about joy that just attracts people. You know, I love to have fun. I act all, you know, I act like I'm very just put together up here. Get me off stage. Henry says, you're crazy. I said, I know, I'm a crazy Asian. I wish I was a crazy rich Asian, but I'm not that yet in Jesus' name. But I'm just a crazy Asian. I love to have fun. You know, I, I love to just laugh. And, you know, I, everywhere I go, I just love, and oftentimes when I go to restaurants, we have so much fun. You know, the waiters and waitresses will come, and I've had many waiters and waitresses come to our table and just say, that table wants to know what you guys are having. What are you guys drinking? I'm like, a hard club soda with lime. But the world is looking for joy. And the beauty about joy is not emotions. It's not a feeling. Joy is a fruit. So as long as we're fellowshipping and communing with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the essence of Jesus. You know, one Wesleyan theologian, I love the way he put it, he said the Holy Spirit is the executive administrative agent of the Godhead, who without him, nothing manifests of the kingdom here on earth in the visible. How many of us love the Holy Spirit? He's everything, isn't he? Woe's Amoya. Woe's Amoya. Can we just say that? Woe's Amoya, Holy Spirit. Woe's Amoya. And, and the beauty, beautiful thing is he's here. He's with us. I'm not a big feeler, but I could sure feel him right now. I wish we could have just worshipped all morning. Because more than anything, I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper at heart. I might not play the guitar well, but this is my philosophy. I might not sing well. How many of you are saying, I could relate with you, Tony? Okay. This is my philosophy, and this is God's philosophy. If you can't play well... Play louder. If you can't sing well, just sing louder. Just be loud. May our worship be loud. As we worship, even this morning, you know, the thing about worship is, I love what we sing. We just lifted Jesus' name on high. And the name of Jesus is still powerful today, regardless of what our humanistic society tells us the name of Jesus is more powerful than COVID-19 the name of Jesus is more powerful than any social illness any brokenness that when he steps into a room or when he steps into a city everything changes 
But see, but one thing we need to realize and come to understand is he steps into a room and he steps into a city often with us and through us. And so there's this partnership between heaven and earth. While we're worshiping and we're asking God, God, change our city. God, change our city. And it's a beautiful prayer. I love this declaration. I want a copy of it. Because this declaration we stated this morning was revival and reformation. And we understand revival. How many of you love revival? Come on. We need revival. We need a move of the Spirit of God. You know, the answer to woke is awakening. And there is an awakening happening right now. While society is being awoke, the church is being awaked. And we're seeing this uh, you know, Asbury University. How many of you heard about the revival taking place there? I was getting te- texts and reports and all these things directly from there. And the beautiful thing about this move is this. We've heard that it's not about famous preachers. We heard that it's not about famous worship leaders. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with preachers that are known. There's nothing wrong with worshipers that are known. We, I think we need to understand that. Because I don't know about you, but I want us to be known. in community. Every one of us. Bay City Church, you should be known throughout South Africa, throughout Africa, and to the ends of the earth. Because the question is this, at Bay City Church, we as a family, we shut down our doors and we locked our gates and we had to close down for who, until who knows when, will, Bay, will, will, Cape, will Cape Town mourn the loss of Bay City? If, if you, God forbid, passed away, Want to dance together? I'm probably, yeah, I'm probably. <laughs> Where was I at? Oh, yes. If God forbid you passed away, would a city mourn the loss because you're no longer there? I love what we do within the four walls of the church. I love this synergy because there's something that happens when two or three are gathered in his name for his name's sake. As we worship with one body in unison, uh, in oneness as, as we are, there's something in the synergy that, that we experience that we could never experience as we worship just as an individual. We need both. We need our individual and corporate worship. But that's the question. And I remember years and years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I woke up with this thought. Would the world mourn if I passed away? And I said, the world doesn't even know me. And I remember crying out when I first got saved, God, Jesus, I will follow you. But would you allow me the privilege of changing the world with you? You are called to change the world. 
You are called to change your neighborhood. You are called to change this city. That's why God put you here for such a time as this. It's not by accident or happenstance. It's not by circumstance. But it's by the spirit that we're gathered here today in this season, in this city, to see another move of God. We're going to see another revival. I know some people say God wants reformation. He doesn't want revival. No. Revival, we always need revival. Every generation should experience a sovereign move of God. And at the same time, when God's not moving, I love what General um, Booth says, the founder of Salvation Army. He says, I'm not waiting for a move of God. I am the move of God. See, we're waiting for a move of God, but how many of you know you are the move of God? Look at your neighbor and say, you are the move of God. But see, when it comes to revival, revival costs us everything. One pastor called me right before I flew here and he said, Tony, what's going on? What, what if that happens in our city? I said, I will cancel every speaking engagement for the entire year to be there in this move. It's going to cost you everything. We're crying out for revival, but are we willing to pay the price? That's what I, that's what I tell our staff all the time. We're crying out for revival, but how many of you will give up your day and night to steward it if it looks like protracted meetings. I know some people say, God's doing a new thing. It's not going to look like the old thing. But just because it's a new thing, it doesn't mean it's a God thing either. But if the old thing is a new thing, I want the old thing because it's still the new thing. I don't care what it looks like. I'm saying, God, wherever you break out, whenever you break out, I just want to be in the room. I just want to be there. I don't need the microphone. I don't need a stage. I don't need to be recognized. I just want to hide in a corner. I'm more comfortable under the radar without being seen, without being known anyways. I'm saying, God, I just want to be there. And I'm telling you, we're at the precipice of a move of God, and I'm standing in a place where God is about to move again. Because one day, there is a coming of the Lord... But throughout history and generations, there's been many comings of God. And we call them revival. We need revival. We need people to be saved and added into the family of God. We need reformation. See, revival costs you everything. Revival introduces us to the holiness and power of God. And there's a generation looking for the genuine experience with God. That God's heart isn't for us to just be filled with head knowledge. Greek word, there's gnosis. He wants us to go beyond that. And I'm not saying head knowledge is negative. I'm not negating that. Because we need to learn to love the Lord our God with all of our mind also. But he wants us to experience him. Not just gnosis him, but epinosis him. To know him through experiential knowledge. It's the same equivalent Hebrew word where it says, Adam, Yada, Eve, and they bore a son. It's through epinosis that things of the kingdom are birthed. 
not just through intellectual knowledge. And Reformation introduces us to the heart and mind of God. And this is the sustainability of revival. And this is where the kingdom works in all of life. How many of you know God is the God of all life? He's the God of all space. He's the God of all places. Because his face is the great I am. And, and so it's revival and reformation. See, the three critical questions I ask every day is this. Who is Jesus? Where is he going? And am I going with him? Who is Jesus? Where is he going? And am I going with him? Because my goal is not to be a leader. My goal is to be a great follower. My goal is to be a disciple. And so while the world's raising up leaders, the church should be raising up disciples. But the problem is, as the world raises up leaders, the church is trying to raise up the same type of leaders. While the world says influence is everything, then the church follows and says influence is everything. And I have friends who are pastors of significant uh, known churches throughout America, and they've compromised the very word of God that is inerrant, eternal. It is penned by man, but I want to tell you, it's written by the Holy Spirit. This word of God, the solution of all things, the greatest text message ever given to man, the greatest book, the greatest seller of all time of history, the word of God, this, this here, they've compromised it. For what purpose? Because they lost the core essence of the kingdom and the finish line. Because they want to become influencers. Church, can we get back to raise, uh, raising up disciples? While the world's telling us how to live in a better way, the essence of the gospel and the word of God as disciples isn't based upon how well we live. It's based upon how well we die. All four of you got excited about that one. But that's okay. I'll, well, let's go. It only takes four. And see, we need to get back to the Word of God. And this is the beautiful thing. As long as we're alive, can we say, not on our watch? Not on our watch. This word reformation, everyone say reformation. I'm going to assume that we're pretty well-versed to some dimension of revival. Therefore, I want to focus in on reformation. Reformation. Reform a nation. Reformation. Many people think of reformation, this word, from a historical perspective. How many of you heard of Martin Luther? Martin Luther raised up 1517. He writes the 95 Thesis. He gets a revelation as he's studying the book of Galatians. By the way, Martin Luther said the book of Galatians is the Magna Carta of Reformation in the New Testament. So if you want to know about Reformation, read the book of Galatians 
along with, paralleled with the book of Romans. I believe the book of Romans is really the gospel according to Paul. And you, you're going to see a lot of overlap between the two. And, and so when it comes to the book of Romans, as he's reading the book of Romans, he's going through chapter 1, he gets to verse 17 that we're justified by faith. And then history tells us he felt the warmth come over his body. He had an encounter with God where the Logos became the Rhema. And, and all of a sudden he came to this revelation that we're saved by faith through grace. And he recalls the reformer prior to him, Jan Hus, by the way, who was burned at the stake because he believed that we're saved by grace through faith. And the ministry was for the entire body of Christ. Someone died and was burned at the stake so that we today can carry on the truth almost in a Christendom norm. Here's my question to us. What are we willing to die for so that generations could feast on the food that we leave behind? Revival may be for a generation, but when you step into reformation, you take this revival and you sustain it into the intergenerations. We're fighting for something. We're fighting for generations that we will never meet. We're fighting for generations we'll never know. It's reformation. And so to help you understand the, uh, between the two, I just want to give you some, I, I want to dichotomize this and separate revival and reformation, even though I don't like doing that. But this is the way I process revival and reformation. Revival is power. Reformation is authority. Many people operate with the gun but without a badge. In society, that would be called Illegal. Revival is the gifts of the Spirit. How many of you have the gifts of the Spirit, or at least know one gift that you've been given? All right, all six of you. Reformation is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the character and nature of God. Revival's the wine. We love the new wine, don't we? But Reformation is the new wineskin. Revival is the anointing. Reformation is the glory. The anointing breaks the yoke, but it's the glory that brings transformation. Revival is new life. Reformation is new order. Revival is the river, and reformation is the banks of the river. Are you getting a little understanding between revival and reformation? Therefore, what I'm saying is you can never separate those. We've divorced them. But now it's time to remarry them. And that's what God is doing in our generation. Who is Jesus? Where is he going? And are we following him? Where is Jesus going? Well, Jesus in Matthew 16 took his disciples and he said, hey, follow me. And he took them into the city called Caesarea Philippi. Matthew 16. We could turn there so some of you feel comfortable because... Now we could talk about scripture. (laughs) Matthew 16. Yeah, now we're legalizing the message from a kingdom perspective. 
But Jesus says this. He says, come. They go into Caesarea Philippi. It's the darkest place in the known earth. Caesarea Philippi, this place where he goes up on the side of a hill where the gate of Hades literally sits with the river running through this cave where people believe that it's a thin place for the demonic. It's the place where all of hell meets with heaven and all demonic influences and spirits and and creatures flow through in and through this gate. Jesus says, let's go there. It's interesting because the pretext to this context is Jesus is warning the disciples about the leaven. The leaven of Sadducee and the leaven of Pharisee. And then he goes into a place where no good religious leader would be found dead. Can you imagine where are we going? Satan's temple? Come again? Yeah, we're going to Satan's temple. And we're going to worship there. That's, that's exactly what he's doing. But right before that, he said, beware of the leaven of Sadducee and Pharisee. What's he after? He's going after their mind because we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And he's saying, this walk with me is not what you think from a religious perspective. We're doing this by relationship. Let's go. They enter in. There's 13 altars of, uh, of uh, sacrifice. They're making sacrifices to the god Pan. Demic. This is what the Lord said to me. When we stepped into this, this is what he said. I said, God, what's going on? This is a pandemic. And he said, yeah, because everyone's worshiping the god Pan. He said, this is not about a lockdown or freedom. He said, this is about worship. And, and so as I started thinking, I thought, you know, Pan is Satan's worship leader. He's a flautist that seduces people through music into its cave and then seduces it and then kills it. And, and so here we are in this space. This is Jesus and his disciples. And the disciples must be going, what's going on? Why are we here? Can we get out of here? They're, they're on edge. And in that place of darkness, say darkness. Jesus asked the question, can you hear his voice in darkness? Whose ear are you, uh, whose voice are your ears attuned to? He says, who do people say that I am? Like, you're, you're like Elijah. That's pretty good company. I wish people said that about me. They don't. I wish they did. Elijah was a signs and wonders prophet came against the false prophets. Some say you're Jeremiah. Jesus wept over cities. He wept over nations. Some said you're, you're like John the Baptist, which was interesting because John the Baptist was just beheaded a few weeks before that. This forerunner message, this new covenant message, this new kingdom that he was establishing. And some said you're one of the prophets. How many of you believe that Jesus was not looking for man's affirmation? He wasn't looking for man's approval, or he wasn't in identity crisis. He was going somewhere. And then he flips the switch. And then he says, who do you say that I am? You know what everyone else is saying. 
we know what the secular humanists are saying. We know what the philosophers are saying about Jesus. We know what our pastors and leaders are saying about Jesus. But who do you say that I am? And in that competitive space of friends and brothers between Peter and John, I kind of read into this, and this is just the way my mind works. I think John says, guys, don't say anything. Because Jesus is not asking a question because he does not know. He's asking for a purpose. And Peter's going to say something really dumb. <laughs> so let's just lean on Peter this time. He wants to lead, we'll finally let him lead. And Peter goes, I know. John says, I told you. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. That statement now just changed earth's access point. It shook everything. That declaration, the greatest prophetic word ever spoken on behalf of humanity, where every prophecy, every prophetic word, every re revelation hangs upon. Everything else becomes objective. This Jesus is reverberating. He's declared the son of the living God in the place where everyone was worshiping dead gods. Can I tell you, the enemy does not own Cape Town. South Africa does not belong to the enemy. Africa does not belong to the enemy. Psalm 24, 1 says, everything is the Lord's. Everything. I'm a crusade preacher, and so I, I, I know how to shout. I'm not one of these quiet, timid Asians, because I was made in the USA. My tag, if you look at it behind my neck, it says that. Here they are in this space where all they knew was darkness. And they go in there in the midst of the greatest darkness on the earth. The greatest revelation, the greatest prophetic word ever spoken, ever will be spoken, was declared in that space. The purpose of darkness is for us to find Jesus. It's to answer the question, who is Jesus? Think about the darkest place in your life, your heart, your thought. Maybe for some of us it's our past. Maybe for some of us it's our present. Maybe for some of us, it's actually in our future. My question to you is, who do you say Jesus is? Is he the God of your yesterday? Is he the God of today? Or is he your God of tomorrow? See, we're created for darkness. So when people say, 
things are getting darker, I'm like, yeah. I don't know about you, but I get excited. I'm like, yeah. They're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> You're a little crazy. Yeah. I eat and live, breathe this stuff. I, I, I love this because now I don't even have to try to shine because the darker it gets just because of who Christ is in me, I start shining brighter. I don't even have to try to do anything. I just stand there in the middle of darkness and let Christ shine. You're shining brighter and you don't even know it because you're looking for the light, not realizing you are the light. See, we're looking for signs when God says, my people are a sign, Isaiah 8.18. Look at your neighbor and say, you are a sign. There's some people when I share the gospel with them, they said, I've been asking God for a sign. I said, I don't know if this is beautiful or not, but I am your sign. <laughs> this is your sign. They're like, oh. Until the miracles start popping and the prophetic words start flowing and the words of knowledge starts coming forth. Not because I'm gifted, but because the Holy Spirit resides within me. See, we're created for darkness. I don't know if you knew that. So this is a perfect time to be alive. And this is how we as the ecclesia or ecclesia, depending on which cemetery you're from, Oh, with the seminary, excuse me. <laughs> See, this is how we advance the gospel. Are you doing okay? Amen. But see, I just want to lay a foundation here today, and hopefully I get invited back, Lord, please, because I love you all already. <laughs> We're family. You can't get rid of me now. <laughs> I was a fa- long-lost family member you never knew existed. And I'm going to be that crazy Asian uncle for all your kids. <laughs> Children, I'm your new uncle. <laughs> Look at the fright, the tear of, they're like, no. I just made a super intercessor out of some of you. How do we advance the kingdom? It's what we do every Sunday, what we did here this morning. We worship. We worship. We're in a new season. New season requires new mindsets. New mindsets bring new definitions. And within this season, there's some redefining that's happening. And one of the things that we have to redefine is this whole word worship. Because what we do here for two hours is just a dress rehearsal for the worship service we go into every single day of the week called 8 to 5. We send people into the 1040 window, but we need to start recognizing those in the 9 to 5 window. Because we're all everyday reformers. I don't feel like a reformer. That's good because God doesn't relate to us by how we feel. He relates to us based upon how he created us. I'm an introvert. That's okay. God doesn't relate to you as an introvert or extrovert or no trovert. You know when, you know I'm anointed when I start making up words. (laughs) It's worship. It's worship. I will give you all my worship. 
I will give you all my praise. You alone I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. What we do here on a Sunday morning is what we do out there 24-7. Because the church isn't a two-hour-a-week church. We are a 24-7 ecclesia, the called-out ones that God raised up with the governing authority to legislate heaven on earth because Jesus... He taught us the prayer, the disciples' prayer, our Father who is in heaven, holy is his name. See, I love that because how many of you know he's first our Father, and then through the fatherhood, we get to know his name is holy. And from there, he teaches us this declaration. Come thy kingdom, be done thy will. That portion of what Jesus um, taught the disciples and taught us is not a prayer. If you break it down in the Greek, it is an emphatic declaration. Come thy kingdom, be done thy will. How many of us are declaring that? So what does worship look like throughout the week? We just walk into our office. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. What, 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 does, what does worship look like? See, in Genesis 2.15, he puts Adam in the garden, and he tells him, I want you to work the garden. I want you to till the ground, work the ground. That word work in the Hebrew is avadah. It's the same word for work and worship. In other words, from a kingdom Hebraic understanding, there's no difference between your work or worship. There's no difference between the sound of your work or the sound of worship. Do you, do you understand when we sing this, do you feel your heart engage? Do you feel your spirit engage? Do you feel your body engage as we're lifting up the name of Jesus? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Do you feel that? Do you feel that? How many of you feel connected to his spirit? When you're typing, when you're filling out reports, how many of you know you don't realize this, but you still release a sound? As you're in government, sitting in the office, as you're mopping the floors, as you're serving food to people in restaurants, as you're checking people out in the store, as you're going shopping and trying on clothes, 
you're releasing a sound. Can we stay connected with the spirit of God where worship isn't just from a religious perspective of us singing songs? And you know what? I love it. I led worship for years. I wasn't good at it, but I led worship for years. (laughs) Can we take the same heart? Because that's just one expression of worship because true worship is the posture of the heart. So if we posture our heart the same way that we sing songs on a Sunday morning when we wake up and we enter into that 9 to 5 space or whatever space that God's given to you, that metron, that sound becomes worship. And when you lift up the name of Jesus through the sound that you release, when you're driving, some people are like, ouch. Oh, trust me, I get it. I'm like, in the name of Jesus, go to heaven. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Are you seriously? You just did that. You better hope to God that God put you in a different neighborhood in heaven than me. Because I will find you. (laughs) I come from a gang background, so that's kind of where my mind goes in a very redemptive kind of way. You know, kind of redemptive sick kind of way. Okay? But we worship. Because when you worship, the atmosphere changes. When you worship, the atmosphere changes. The Greek word for atmosphere is vapors. So whatever is tangible, whatever vapors are in the air, you worship. And what it does is you don't just clear the air, you take control of the air. Bay City family, your worship takes control over Cape Town. Worship in your home, doing dishes. Young people, as you're doing homework, you do it thinking of Jesus. God, I hate homework, but I love you, Jesus. That's still worship. He receives that. We laugh about it, but, but he loves it. Where has God put you? Can you worship? Can you worship bigger than your circumstance? Can you worship bigger than your home? Can you worship bigger than the building? Can we create a worship of canopy over South Africa where the presence of God would just saturate and overtake the airs of South Africa where the vapors of heaven have pushed back, but not only pushed back. I'm not talking about regentrification. I'm talking about transformation where anyone who comes in, flies in, comes through, is they're t- completely overtaken by the spirit of God where their life changes, where people come in addicted and they walk out free, where people are, 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 are trapped in darkness and now now they're taken from darkness into his marvelous light where one day they don't know one f- what's up or down but they come out with clarity where they come in with pain and walk out with healing this is what worship does and how many of you know we are created for relationship but god gave us his beautiful relational way to connect with them called worship psalm 102 verse 18 to 20 Let this be written for a generation not yet created that they may praise the Lord. 
the psalmist, this Psalm uh, 102 is a penitent psalm where the high liturgical churches would read it as one of their uh, penitent uh, uh, chapters. And, And it's the psalmist, the nation is going down the drain. They get the prophetic word, but nothing looks like it's going to come to pass. There's, he, he stepped into hopelessness. The, the thing about hope is this. The reason why the enemy takes hope is because it's hope that advances us. So without hope, we can never advance. But see, what we need to understand is love secures us, but hope advances us. And faith pulls the future into the now. Faith, hope, and love. And see, and so whenever we feel insecure, just find the Father's love for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And then through that, you find the man of hope. Where Romans 5, 5, which Sheldon read, hope does not disappoint. Well, then why do I feel disappointed? Because perhaps you wished instead of hoping. And then we advance as we apply our faith to every step. Let this be written to a generation not yet created. He's saying it's, it's the same old pattern in the Psalms. God, why? This guy is stricken with sickness. He's, he's in uh, sackcloth and ashes. He's mourning. He's saying, God, but why? Why? How many of you ever asked that? Why? And then all of a sudden he, he, he shifts and says, but you, oh God. And through his worship, he gets a glimpse of the future. And he says, let this be written for a generation not yet created, that they may praise the Lord. This is a reformational psalm. Because he looked down from his holy height, and he heard the voice of the prisoners and those who are doomed to death. So here's God in his holy height, looking down. He saw those who were doomed to death. He heard the groans of the prisoners. And he says, huh. I have a solution for that. It's called my sons and daughters. Through my son. And they're going to speak on my behalf. Because we know the father is the creator. The son is the word. He's a speaker. And it's the Holy Spirit who's the doer. And so as Jesus went to the right hand of the father delivering the blood that was on the sacrifice. And he said, give me the fullness of the promise that you gave to me. And the fullness of the promise was the spirit without measure. And he sent Holy Spirit to us as our guide, our comfort, our teacher, our comforter. And it's within that space where now we're grafted in. The Father creates. The Son now speaks by the sons of God. How many sons of God do we have in here? How many sons of God? I'm, I'm not talking about gender. I'm talking about the sons of God. I know some of you leaders are going, I don't understand how this works, but it's the same thing. You know, it, you get confused with I'm a son of God, just like I get confused when I say I'm a bride of Christ. It, it's the same thing. So I'm a bridal son. And so the sound we release is it worship? Is it heaven's language? Or is it hell's language? Complaining is the devil's language. Grumbling is the devil's language. Slander, gossip, 
is a devil's language. Blessing, honor, respect, worship, peace, love, joy. This is all heaven's language. What language are you speaking and what are you declaring into the atmosphere? Is it worship? It is. But the question is, who are you worshiping? Because we're all worshipers. We're all created to worship. So he write, he pens this to a generation not yet created. That's you and I. Because this writer gets a revelation. It says that they may what? Praise the Lord. That our praise from the earth to heaven will change all those that are hurting and broken around us. We don't worship him for that, but that becomes a byproduct because of our worship to him. And and so what does this look like? I remember one time I was I was at an airport. When I was young, I used to just worship in my bedroom. It's just intimate worship. I used I was tone deaf. I, I couldn't play any instruments. I got kicked out of orientation at a guitar class. I was asked not to come back after orientation. I, I, that's a true story, unfortunately. As an Asian, you don't understand what that means. Because <laughs> most Asians come out with a piano or violin or something, you know. And I came out playing the radio. You know, see. I, we all play something. See, we, some of us play instruments, some, some of us play radios, okay? The next generation's like, what's a radio? <laughs> and I remember I was, I'd be worshiping with the most radical songs of the day where my church thought it was devil's music. Like, holy and anointed one, Jesus. See, they thought we were demon-possessed when we sang that stuff back in the day. I grew up in a very conservative church and denomination, but they put the word of God in me. And as I was worshiping, I remember squirrels and birds would come to my windowsill. And I thought I was crazy. I didn't know what was going on. They would come, and I would just sing really loud out of tune. And I'm like, God, can you just fix me? Please don't laugh. It was, it was no laughing matter. And I would just sing. And these birds would show up. I'd go, this is, I thought, I'm crazy. What is happening? And, and I, I kept experiencing this for about three weeks straight. I was 13 years old that summer. And I came out of that. And during that time, the Lord taught me how to play guitar. And my tone deaf was broken. And then six months later, I picked up a guitar. I taught myself every worship song known on the earth by learning four chords. That's all you need to know. Four chords, you can play every worship song on the planet. The fancy chords, you just skip them. No one will even know. <laughs> Especially if they're worshiping, they shouldn't be paying attention to you anyways. Years later, I'm at an airport, 
I'm in Dallas, Texas, just spoke at a conference called the Presence Conference. I'm at the airport. I get to the airport at an ungodly hour when God's still sleeping. It's like 5 o'clock in the morning. Grab a cup of coffee. I sit down, go to my gate, and everyone's looking up, those who are there. There's this bird flying around. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So I sit down. But see, one of the things I do in the morning is I worship. I just, I just ha- have my phones in. I just worship. And I love the old songs. There's something about it, isn't there? I know some people are like, it's the new thing. Don't sing old songs. No, keep singing old songs because God's still on it. He's on the new and the old because that's what the Bible says. The fullness is in the new and old, not just in the new. So I kind of like the old songs because it has less words and I could actually memorize it. And... You're all I want. I was actually listening to that vineyard uh, CD, song, MP3, whatever you want to call it. And, and I'm just sitting there, and the bird swoops right, and it lands on my shoulder. I'm like, this is weird. I don't like animals being on my shoulder. And I'm trying to shake this thing off. Now everyone took notice. Let me ask you this. Do you carry enough presence where everyone takes notice when you walk in a room? Because remember, I said you're a sign. And, and I'm in that place, and I'm like, you're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. Please get this bird off my shoulder now. You know, it's just like, it, it sits here on my shoulder for about 15 minutes. People come, they're taking selfies with me. They're like, you mind? Of course I don't mind. I'm Asian. Let's go. We love pictures. I should have invited them. You take picture? You take picture with me. Yeah, yeah. And, and so people are taking selfies of me, and they're like, he's the bird man. He's the bird man. They gave me a nickname and everything. You know, and, and I'm there, and, and there's a lady, elderly lady, next to me. She goes, I've been watching that bird fly for about 20 minutes. She goes, who are you, son? I was like, I'm a son. And I literally looked at this bird. I'm like, I think I got to go. Bird flies off, probably as far as the first row to another chair. This is wild. It goes to the bathroom on the chair. I'm like, this bird is a Christian bird. It is saved. It is redeemed by the power and the blood of the lamb. I will see you in heaven. After it's done, it flies back on my shoulder. I'm like, oh, no. At this point, I'm like almost cramping up because I'm so tense, right? And it sat there for a few more minutes, and it wouldn't leave. We get called to the gate. I get a notice. I just got upgraded to first class. My seat's 1A. I knew it was Jesus because first class is always Jesus. And and I looked at the bird. I said, I got to go now. So do you. People are watching. I'm, I look like a smart Asian. Okay. Until you hear me. And I said, you got to go. This bird flies off when I say that. People are looking going. I'm like. Oh. So I come out of that. And now people are. We get seated. People are walking by, giving me high fives. Birdman, Birdman, Birdman. 
I get a call from a prophet a few months later. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that no matter how big the experience is, at some point, you can't live by experience. You have to live by intimacy. I forgot about that experience. And, and the prophet calls me and says, had a dream. You were at an airport and a bird landed on you. God says that you're a son and you're a sign. And there's a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit where the Spirit doesn't want to just come and leave. He wants to descend and stay. And he says, you're a token of what you experienced for a generation. And he said, that's all, and hung up. I was like, wow. The Oscars that year, my friend calls me and says, hey, you know what the movie is? I don't watch TV because I'm a pastor. I pray all day, you know. Um, and I, I, I just didn't watch it that time. And, and my friend calls me and says, you know what movie won the Oscars? I said, what's that? He said, it's a movie called Birdman. <laughs> now I'm in this prophetic swirl, is all you prophetic people call it. And I don't know what to do with it because I'm really not that prophetic. I just love Jesus. And I just hear his voice. How many of you know you don't have to be prophetic to hear God's voice? You just have to be a son or daughter. And, and so here I am in this place, and I realize this. What I cultivate in the secret place is what God demonstrates in the public place. He reminded back, he said, remember when you worshipped in the bedroom? And I could tell you numerous other bird stories since then. I've seen a bird resurrected in Southern California. Just having picnic with my family during my son's birthday. I just had numerous, ex but see, what are you cultivating in the secret place? Because what you experience with God in the secret place is the, you experience him in power in the secret place, but you demonstrate with authority in the public place. What are you doing to bring reform to what God has called you to? See, I'm going to end with this. I'm going to land a plane. And I'm not one of these preachers that says it seven times. Okay, I say it six times, not seven. <laughs> Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're beaten for preaching the gospel. They're in the inner prison. There's three, uh, three dimensions of the prison within the Roman system. And they were in the inner prison. They were chained up, shackled up, and they were beaten beyond recognition. And... In the midnight hour, it says that they were praying and praising. And it says, and everyone heard them. And they said, and about that time, everything shook. The earth shook. And all the prison doors opened. Listen, it said all the prison doors. All. Not just theirs, all. And then the story goes on. It says that the guard who fell asleep woke up and he was about to kill himself because he didn't see anybody there. And he said, lights, I need lights. The other guards come in and bring lights and he sees them. But before that, it's interesting because when the prison guard could not see in the dark, I'm going to assume that the other prisoners could not see the guard in the dark because they were in the same space. Are you with me? But yet there was one man in there 
from perhaps behind the people or in front, I don't know, but said, do not kill yourself for we're all here in a space that was completely dark. The guard did not see them. He heard the voice but didn't see until he called the other guards for lights. What was it about Paul that allowed him to see in the dark? It was his worship. Worship allows you to see in the dark. Can you see in the dark? And it doesn't take a whole community. I want to propose to you Luke chapter 10. Let's all stand together. If we could have the worship team come up. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus goes to this house of two sisters, Mary and Martha. How many of you know the story? We know that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus when he showed up and Martha was continuing to work. But the beautiful thing here is, in Luke it says, Jesus loved Martha also. But there was a woman by the name of Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus. There's something that happens after this scenario. If, if, as you move forward into the chapters, in Luke 19, from Luke chapter 10, after Mary, one lady who worships Jesus in the secret place. In Luke 19, Jesus is now coming into Jerusalem, and people are shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Can we just shout that? Hosanna! Hosanna! To the King of Kings! They're laying down their clothes and their palm branches, and he's coming in on a donkey. The significance of the donkey is this. It symbolizes peace. When a king shows up on a war horse, it symbolizes war. But when a king shows up on a donkey, he's saying, I come in peace. He's saying, Jerusalem, I come in peace. And, And he comes in. But yet, there's this public display of worship that happens. And I believe there's something about this one woman who sat at the feet of Jesus in the secret place, where from the secret place, there was a whole community that began to worship Jesus in the public place. Your worship can begin movements. Bay City, you're you're, you're a place of birthing movements here. How many of you believe that? Can we just lift our hands to the Lord? And just start worshiping him. Just start thanking him right now with your own words. We don't need instruments. We don't need uh, anything to even worship. It sure helps. But let's just worship. Just thank him. Begin to bless him. Just begin to praise him with your own mouth. Come on, lift your voice this morning, would you? Jesus, you're the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There's no one like you in the heavens or the earth, God. The name above all names. The name where all things by him, in him, and through him are held together. The son of God, the son of man, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Jehovah Nishi, our banner, our God of victory. 
God, we bless you, we honor you this morning, and we worship you, God, and we say there's no one like you, Jesus. You're the preeminent one. You're the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. God, you are revival. You are reformation, God. You are hope. You are love. You are faith. There's no one like you, Jesus. There's no one like you, the Redeemer, the author of life. The life-giving one, the one who gives life and life more abundantly, God. The builder of all things, Jesus, Jesus. Can we just say Jesus? Can we just say Jesus? Can we just say Jesus? Now just give him a shout this morning. Amen, amen. Amen, Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. You know... We haven't taken the offering yet. We did forget to do that. Okay, and we're going to do that now. But I just want to say something quickly. Uh, the sound of the microphone earlier was really annoying, right? Okay, we could all, we all feel in the room, this is so annoying. Just somebody fix it. No pressure at the back, guys. But I don't know what's happened. I don't know why it's done that this morning with its other radio frequencies. But actually, I'm going to give you a little prophetic insight into your own life about your own sound and what was happening here this morning. There was nothing wrong of God being in this room here this morning. God is here with us, but that was just annoying. Man, it's off. And we were struggling to engage with Tony preaching, right? And until the sound became clear, we all went, oh, that's better. It feels a bit better. Now, how is your sound? Okay, when we have distractions and we have all these things filling in on us and our worlds, how does your sound look at work tomorrow morning? Are people annoyed by your sound? And I know this is a strong thing to finish off, but this is the only way we are going to see things transformed and changed. When our sounds are pure, what is the, what is the scripture we put on, our, on our, our 21 days of our day 14 this morning? There's a shift that's required of us. What's the verse? Deuteronomy 4. We've been around this mountain too long. That was the message this morning. You've got to go read it. Day 14. We've camped around this mountain too long. It's time for us to move northward. The shift, folks, for us is you can create a great sound in here. At your board meeting tomorrow morning, at your sales meeting tomorrow morning, what sound are you creating? Okay, when it's pure and it comes forth and we release the sound of heaven, that is where your authority lies. Remember the story I told you last week about righteousness is carrying authority. Okay? Righteousness is carrying authority. Well, we can maybe just pass the baskets around and uh, we can give with grateful and generous hearts. Maybe while we sing a song. Have you got a song for us to sing? And we can end with that. I just want to honor Tony. Thanks for blessing us this morning. Sorry about the microphone, but God speaks through it all. And just bless this team and all the other Gowana Accord guys that are here. If you just want to come to the front after the meeting, we'll direct you and show you where to go upstairs. We will have some time together and that. But uh, let's sing the song together as we take up our offering this morning and we give with grateful and generous hearts about what the Lord is doing. Amen, amen, amen.